and welcome to episode 12 of the Baseball from Home podcast. I'm Connor McKnight. He is Joe Brand. And we're brought to you by the House of L Podcast Network. I've been covering baseball for radio stations in Chicago the last 10 years. Joe's been broadcasting minor league baseball the last nine, and he covers the White Sox and the Cubs for WGN Radio. You can find us both on Twitter. I'm at C1 McKnight. He is at Joe underscore brand one. You can rate and review the pod as well. It helps us get the thing moving. It's not just pure vanity, although it's a little vanity. Now, if you rate and review it, that means it gets pushed to other baseball fans. And boy, would we appreciate that if you like the pod. So thanks for doing us a favor there. Every show we cover the Cubs, we cover the White Sox in no particular order. And we'll kick it around the league and hit all the biggest stories as well. You know, like last week's trade deadline. We appreciate your ears. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. Joe, what's top of your mind today? Well, we've got two teams that are probably, no, more than likely heading to the playoffs. But we've got a whole heck of a lot of concerns for both these teams. Some of the same. Some different. Apparently the White Sox forgot how to catch and throw and play defense, but it's still a pretty good team that fell into another good team. When you talk about the Cubs, oh boy, there's a whole lot of mess. I guess we'll just get into it later. None of this would be possible without David Hochberg and all the fine folks at Team Hochberg. Uh, They helped me put a roof over my head, not because they do construction, but because they did my mortgage and God, were they good at it. I made all kinds of mistakes as a first-time homebuyer. The one I did not make was calling David Hochberg and going with his team, Hochberg, for all of my mortgage needs. Every time I had a question or a concern or had kind of messed something up on my end, they were like, Connor, don't worry about it. We got you. We've got your back. You're going to have what you need when it comes time to buy this house and sign the paperwork. And they did. They had everything I could have possibly needed, and they knew who I was and they knew the situation I was in because they took the time to find out. You should do the same. Call them at 855-56-DAVID or head to the website at 56david.com. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender. NMLS 1124061. We flip the coin of destiny to decide what team goes first just about every show. Today's coin of destiny is lopsided. It's uh, it's heads. We're going the Cubs first, mostly because our personal schedules allow us to record a little bit after the Cubs' afternoon game against the Pirates ends, and then the White Sox portion will be recorded after their game tonight ends. That's just that's just kind of what it is, man. That's how the sausage gets made. But it, frankly, it's convenient for me and it's convenient for Joe. So that's the life we're living. I, I was gonna say I appreciate your honesty. I thought we were gonna pull a Houdini and just piece this together. But yeah, I think I think that's fair too. Plus, there will be the recency effect for Sox fans with whatever they do by later tonight. And just so you know, we will know what the White Sox did later tonight when we record this. So there's there's no hiatus. No, no, not at all. So the the Cubs just took two of three from the Pirates, otherwise known as the bare minimum because it's the freaking Pirates. The Cubs are now 22 and 15 on top of the NL Central. If you run the conversion, that's 59.4 and 40.5. So the Cubs are more or less a team that's 20 games over 500. They don't feel like that to me, and yet they feel like one of the better teams in 2020 and I guess that's just the that's just the work of of watching and covering and talking about baseball in 2020 is reminding yourself that you don't have to make those two things even up that because of what this is it's none of that is going to just congeal in the same places as it used to during a baseball season yeah whatever record the Cubs end with 
there's no way it's going to be equivalent to if this Cubs team played 162 games. I mean, this is just so very recent Cubs where they either get off to a hot stretch or have a hot stretch, and that's not quite the team that they are. But I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out this team. We've talked about the holes that the roster has. Now there's more concern with the starting pitching. There's even more concern with the offense in terms of this core not contributing. But, yeah, it's it's just such a difficult team to decipher. I guess if you're not focused on the AL or NL Central and you're just an outsider looking into this, you're probably thinking, well, they, they play bad competition. But it's still not even like that. Like I said before, they they figure out ways to win games, but then they really get creative in ways to lose games, too. So it's it's really interesting to see them bounce back in between both of that. They've learned how to strand runners from every position and with every outcome. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I Today, in the ballgame today, when the Cubs easily, easily could have had a three or four spot or maybe even five spot on the board before the third inning rolled around, And hell, even the fourth inning, too. I mean, if you want to just go ahead and clump those things together, they had their chances. They had the chances to knock a bad Pirates game out of the third game of a three-game set and just go ahead and make that sweep a nice, real, quiet walk-home kind of thing. And I'm reminded again of Joe Madden saying things like, meatloaf, you know, it's good enough, two out of three ain't bad, that kind of... That's not enough in a 162-game season, but it probably is in the NL Central you're looking at now. And really what what this Cubs team comes down to for me is once you get to a playoff series, are Darvish and Hendricks enough to push you over a series win? And I think probably they are, you know, given the rest of the elements performing, you know, the, the way they have this year. But I think that answer remains the same, which means just Hang like the kitten in the motivational poster, right? Just hang in there, baby. And I, and I don't know, maybe maybe a playoff goes your way. Well, in the way you approach that, saying are Hendricks and Darvish enough, I mean, that's pretty much what it's down to now. John Lester has really not shown us, especially in the last four games, I've got some numbers on him, that he can be a reliant guy as of right now. I mean, maybe he can he can really end this season pretty well, but his ERA is around eight over the last four games. I mean, he's given up he's he's given up six home runs, uh, an OPS over a thousand, an, an opposing OPS over a thousand. Yes, he's vintage John Lester, where he's able to labor through a few innings. But I mean, we saw what the White Sox did to him. We saw when an offense can can still capitalize on when he's not fully there, what damage is able to be done. You look at it, okay, I still think the Cubs will win this division. Can they? Absolutely. I still think they do. But then that first series is a three-game series. So, yes, it could just come down to Darvish and Hendricks. But what happens if one of them just slips up a little bit? Do you do you jump to a John Lester and throw him in from the bullpen? Or do you save him for Game 3? Because if you don't have him for Game 3, what do you have? So it's it, it's all very tricky. It's all very confusing. And, oh, yeah, Jose Quintana is back on the injured list. Yeah, yeah. So so what you're losing here is two-fifths of the rotation in Quintana and Chatwood. And that is obviously alarming, right? I, where they go next is probably Adbert Alzali. I mean, obviously it is. He, he's going to get a couple of starts. But the Cubs have the doubleheader. On Saturday against the Cardinals, the Cardinals play seven doubleheaders the rest of the way. That's just 
absurd. Someone's going to keel over from heat exhaustion or something. I, I mean, that's just a lot of baseball. There will be a lot of calluses from the there St. Are, Louis Cardinals. There will be a lot of calluses. There will be callus. That's enough baseball to, like, create the callus and then split it open and then reform the neck. Like, that's gross. I know it's gross for those of you listening, but if you play baseball, you know exactly how that goes. You know the one in the corner of your big toe? You know, that just it just goes and then it's everywhere and then you gotta reform it. It's oh it's so gross. I thought you were gonna say that's enough callus to form a baseball, because I think that's true too. It's just it's just enough mass. It's it's enough Ugh. substance. It's gross, all of it. Whatever it is, it's absolutely gross. This is gonna be a theme, I think, at least for me, talking about the Cubs and the White Sox a little later on in the podcast today. I I, I want them to experiment with things. I, I want them to get out there like the Rays. I want them to play with openers. I want them to play with tandem starts. I want them to use all of the pieces they have because at this point, because of either injury or underperformance, the Cubs specifically here, and, and really both teams, have kind of one thing left at their disposal, and that's quantity. So throw the quantity at opposing offenses and see what you can make qualitatively out of your quantity. That's that's what you've got after Darvish and after Hendricks. I, it's Goodfellas, right, where they go down the bar and everybody gives a name, right? It's like, you know, Frankie Eyes or something like that. And then there's, isn't it Johnny two times? I, I'm going to go get the papers, get the papers. He's Because he's, he said everything twice, right? It's It's Johnny two times. He's two times through the order. That's what we're seeing right now. And that's okay. You can live that way. Alec Mills kind of has a, I mean, I think we're learning right now that that's kind of a Johnny two times sort of thing. Pick your White Sox starter that's not Dallas Keuchel or Lucas Giolito. You're two times through the order. Or you're Reynaldo Lopez and you're out of the rotation. Either way, what we're dealing with here isn't something that's, I mean, the injuries are, are bad and alarming. But the fact that you have a good number of starters that really only get you two times through the order is the same thing that a lot of baseball teams have been facing for a couple of years. They've just been a little bit more aggressive about what they can do with the, the quote-unquote starting rotation and getting creative and solving some of the issues, either with openers or tandem starts or piggybacks or whatever. I, I know there's just a month left of the season, so it's not like experiment time is going to get you some resounding answers. But experiment time might just spread out the innings load enough so that you're not staring at a bunch more injuries once you get to a playoff game, and then you don't even have Johnny two times. I agree with that approach. The only thing that worries me is is the quality of the Cubs' quantity isn't going to be sustainable enough. I, I think they might be forced into a situation, def, almost definitely with Jose Quintana, maybe also definitely with John Lester. I, I think you still have to have some faith in a guy that's probably going to go down as a Hall of Famer. But I, I think David Ross has made it very clear with not only this pitching staff, but the entire roster that this is a weird crapshoot. So we just got to do what we have to do to, to figure things out. I love the opener idea. I really do. But who do you start with? I, I mean, yeah, pick a bullpen name. Okay. Who has impressed you the most? And it's probably only going to be a recency effect because guys can only put together two or three outings together before they serve up meatballs once again. I, I That's what worries me is the quality of the quantity of the Cubs pitching staff. That's fair, and I think what, you would, what, what I'd look at there is like 
You know, Dwayne Underwood can pitch okay at times. Find yourself a lineup that's likely to give you a first six batters, first eight batters, where 70% of the batters is a pretty okay matchup at for Dwayne Underwood, right? That Dwayne has a decent enough chance. Use that arm there. Throw your starter, your quote-unquote you know, starter, your Alec Mills, your John Lester, or whatever, after that. Let him soak up three or four innings. Hopefully you get yourself a lead, and then you can play with the bigger pieces, the Cubs version of bigger pieces in their bullpen later on, right? You, you mentioned the quality of that quantity. And, you know, now we're getting real Napoleon, right? What was the, the, the Napoleon quote is quality has a, no, quantity has a quality all its own. I mean, he was talking about artillery, but, you know, it's kind of the same premise. I want to go through some of the trade acquisitions the Cubs made. Um, and it, I guess we'll just do Cameron Mabin first because he's the, the only position player they picked up outside of Jose Martinez, who we already talked about in episode 11. But Cameron Mabin is fine to me. I mean, that's just... That's pay little, get a guy, you know, he's a, he's that, you know, kind of guy with a, with a underline under it. He's a guy. He's a little redundant with Steven Souza. He does a lot of the same things. Or I should say that the same things they do well are, are kind of overlapping areas. That's okay. I, I don't have much of a problem with that. Souza's been pretty banged up over the last, you know, decade. So let's go get Cameron Maven. That seems fine with me. I don't know how that hits you as anything more or less, but that's where I'm at on Maven. Well, I mean, not only Maven. I, I would imagine pretty much everybody that the Cubs acquired. Yeah, it's it's fine, creative moves, and that's exactly what we said that Theo Epstein and company had to do heading into this year because, I mean, it's it's kind of slim pickings, and the Cubs don't have much much to offer to the other team. So, sure, a guy like Cameron Maven who's been around, I still don't know why I think that dude is like 23 years old. Old, right, but he, this this is his ninth different organization. I I that kind of surprised me. I I didn't realize he was with Detroit three different times. <laughs> he was in the Miggy. He was in the Miguel Cabrera trade first, right? I think yeah. I think you're it right. Was, it was Cameron Mabin and Andrew Miller when Miller was still a hot shot, you know, second coming prospect out of uh, North Carolina. Yeah. So I mean, he seems like a good clubhouse guy. He's He's worked with different clubhouses and and seems to you know mesh in with the team. So yeah, okay, I'll get that feel good attitude. I know he said something about you know this stage in his career, all he cares about is winning. So maybe that gives him a, a little bit of a shot in the arm. Uh, it is disappointing though that that Albert Almora Jr. is the odd man out. But I mean, it's not like he hasn't been given his opportunities by this point. Yeah, when you say disappointing, are are you had you been holding out some kind of hope for him or just that? That guy, that particular draft pick, you know, the first of the Theo and Jed era uh, goes by the wayside here a little bit. Yeah, it's a couple of things. I guess just a soft spot in my heart because he's a former Cougar and was like the first Kane County Cougar of the Cubs new regime. Um, I don't know. He just he just really comes off as a guy that works his tail off all the time. You you love his defensive ability when he's really in the zone. Like, I think everyone's going to remember uh, that robbed home run of Yadier Molina at Bush Stadium, what he did in the NLDS in 2016 when he created that double play to force the game in extras. I mean, he just does a lot of cool things defensively, but unfortunately it's it's the bat that's kind of held him down. Um, I, I, I guess I like the fact that they brought him down rather than just straight-up DFA him. Maybe that gives him a little bit more enthusiasm to get some things figured out and again I'm not saying it's it's enthusiasm it's just it really hasn't panned out but yeah I guess a little soft spot for Albert Almora from me 
I, I get that. I Albert Amora, I don't know if you know this, but Albert Amora is the author of my favorite tweet of all time. Oh, uh, a hand like during the I can't remember if it was the actual off season or if it was while we were all waiting for baseball to come back during COVID, you know, because it all blends together. There was this meme going around and it was tweet your greatest sporting achievement in the most mundane way possible. And Almora tweeted something like, I tagged up from first and went to second in the 10th inning of a baseball game. <laughs> and of course, that's Almora tagging from second and going to first on the fly ball in Cleveland. And he comes around to score. And in that moment, I think everyone watching that game, because that was a that was a really, really heads up base running move that ended up helping win the Cubs their first World Series in 108 years. Like, that was a that was an enormous play in that game, and I that's one of the greatest tweets of all time. Well, in the background of that will make Cub fans feel all warm and gushy inside. That whole play happened with Theo's first three draft picks in charge of the Cubs. Kyle Schwarber singled, Albert Elmora Jr. pinch ran, Chris Bryan hit the sack fly, well, the, the deep fly that should have been a home run, too. And yeah, that ended up that ended up being the go ahead run. Of course, what Rizzo scored the That's right. That's right. Eventually That's right. winning run. But yeah, everyone forgets about Miguel Montero providing the game winning RBI single. Well, ask Miguel. He's never forgotten anything. Believe me. Here's here's where I'm at with the offense for the Cubs. It is what it is. It has been for years. So I'm I'm kind of done you know, biting my fingernails about it. I I hope I can choose to be here for a while now because watching them, like for a while going forward, because watching it any other way is really frustrating. Joe, I'm going to, I'm going to read you a couple of stats where the, uh, of where the offense, where the Cubs offense stands league wide. You halt me if any one of these seem really surprising to you. Okay. The Cubs are second in Major League Baseball in walk rate offensively. They have the fourth highest strikeout rate. They have the eighth highest ISO. They are 25th or fifth worst in batting average. And they are 16th in weighted runs created plus at 102, meaning they are 2% better than a normalized offense, than a league average offense. I mean, I guess I would say the only one surprising might be the last, but when they win games, they kind of clobber the ball. So I guess that's how it all evens out. Um, the ISO maybe was a little bit higher than I anticipated, but again, it's this is a, a free-swinging team that can run into pitches quite a bit. Javi Baez, shout out to you. Um so, yeah, I, I guess all those numbers do fit, and they don't scream at me as all a, a great combination of numbers, Connor. No, no, they're not. They're not. I mean, they're they're a softball team where everybody's 40. Like, a, they're a good softball team where everybody's 40. They were a really good team for a little while when a bunch of guys were 25, and they had a few older dudes who didn't mind playing some of the corner spots in the outfield, and a catcher who was a good hitter, but, like, it destroyed his leg in some sort of pub incident or something. So you got by. And then all the all the athletic guys, all the, all the 25-year-olds, slowly become 30 over time. Then the alcohol wears off. 
off and they finally shape up. All right, we'll play some real softball here. And then your mid-30s are great. And then everybody hits 40. And it's, all right, I'm just going to swing for the fences. And I am not running anywhere because I choose not. I mean, that's what this offense looks like. That's what it is. And half of their last names start with O. It's O'Connell, O'Connor, something along those lines. Hey, easy. All right. It's a little, <laughs> it's a little too close. No, to oh, oh, yeah, yeah. No, don't worry. I, I didn't I didn't go the MC route. No. Oh, well, um, I mean, you could. Little known fact, uh, my ancestors, when when they came over, my, my mother's maiden name is Connor, right? And when we came over, we were O'Connor. My ancestor that came over was a wanted man. Uh, the Irish mob was coming after him. So he, so when he, when he jumps the pond, he gets to the island and he's like, I know what I'll do. I'll shake him and drop the O. They'll never find me. And they found him. <laughs> oh, they, they found I mean, him. Yeah, I mean, was yeah. It, was it expensive to drop the O? I mean, couldn't nope. he have... No, nope. couldn't he have dropped a lot nope. more couldn't letters do it. than just the no, O. No, I don't know that he knew how to spell the rest of the letters. I think he might have just had the O. So it's Darvish and Flaherty in Game One of the series against the Cardinals, which at least will be, you know, really entertaining to watch. I don't know what the rest of that series is going to look like because Saturday's game being a doubleheader and and one of them probably going to be a bullpen game after Admiral Alzali throws the first, which I believe is the rotation at this point. Colin Ray, I suppose, is up next. If if you needed to press another starter in, if you weren't, you know, if you weren't making things into a a full bullpen situation, um, you know, obviously the biggest news here, and and we won't know until tomorrow afternoon ish, the severity of Ian Happ's injury, but he bounced one off the deck and into his eye. It's a it's a bruise. It's a contusion just above or around his eye. X-rays came back negative after the game on Thursday afternoon. No word yet on whether he's going to play or plans to play. Again, I think that's a tomorrow afternoon kind of thing. But the tweet going around this afternoon, Ian Happ is a top five OPS player in baseball. Ian Happ, a top five OPS guy in baseball. We've talked about how his improvements this year have basically caught the eyes of everyone in Chicago. I still think that Fernando Tatis Jr. is just such a nationwide baseball name right now that he's he's clearly at the top spot of that MVP race, but Ian Happ definitely is bringing his name into the conversation. I'll, I'll dissect some stats between the two, and I don't want to make it all numbers heavy, but if you look at the slash line for Ian Happ, he wins all three. 308 batting average, 420 OBP, 1061 OPS. Fernando Tatis Jr. is is kind of a little bit below with the OBP, 395. OPS is pretty much there. But Tatis has three more homers and 12 more RBIs. Shout out to the Texas Rangers for that grand slam that helped out that category. So we go, we go to defensive. Ian Happ is a minus one defensive run saved. Tatis is a plus one. The only other defensive stat I like looking at is plays made, made outside of the zone. Ian Happ wins that 19 to 16. I will say that that's kind of a wash because I think it's easier to make a play out of your zone in center field than shortstop. You know, there's closer defenders. Shortstop has to make the play completely. Center fielder just has to kind of catch it. Right. Especially when, if, if you look at the Cubs defense, I like we talked about Kyle Schwarber being pretty good in left field all year long, but... If Ian Happ's going to his right into Schwarber's area, he's taking that ball. I mean, that's how the outfield is constructed 
therefore you'll see more plays, quote-unquote, out of his zone, I would imagine. Absolutely. Yeah, communication is, I would say, is off the charts with the Cubs' defensive outfield situation. Um, But with those numbers, you're looking at a pretty much even split. Now, it, it comes down to what matters, what numbers matter more. And that's obviously the whole case of the MVP argument. If if Ian Happ can finish out this year slightly better than Fernando Tatis Jr. can finish out this year, you might have a case for a real competition for that MVP crown. He he won't win it, Happ, but he'll be a top three guy, it looks like, which is great. You know, I mean, he'll get the Cubs boost and vote numbers and he'll, you know, he's got the production that's there. He stays healthy. Everything should be fine. I If I were voting... I the edge goes to the shortstop unless the shortstop is is you know hot garbage defensively, that's just kind of where I'd go at. Although you know center field is that next guy up in you know everybody's opinion, but I I you know I like the defensive numbers you gave in terms of like general measurements, and I I I like baseball savants defensive numbers you know defensive runs saved all that kind of stuff, but even even the nerdery that comes up with those numbers would tell you that in this number of games, none of it has normalized yet and won't at all this year, even if it does in a full regular baseball season, right? Defensive sample sizes need plural years, long amounts of time. I mean, there are enough guys that would argue that really the the defensive numbers for a ball player can't normalize in the appropriate amount of time. You'd need to play too many games, and by the time you've played, you know, as many games as you have, you're now past your athletic peak, no longer the defender you were when you were being rated at the outset. So it's just like this weird this weird part of baseball that we all think we know and should measure. Don't get me wrong. Like, we should measure everything, but what that measurement tells you is up for debate, I think. No, you're totally right, and I should have made that known, too, because right now Jason Hayward has zero defensive runs saved in 2020, which which clearly is not a, a practical number to throw out there. Uh, and also agree with you with, with a shortstop being more... Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. More valuable towards the end of the year with that voting than Ian Happ. I agree. I think it's Tatis Jr., but I, I still am not counting Ian Happ out of it. I'll tell you, as we get into the uh, the Major League portion of the podcast, I'll tell you the trade that I liked um, from the Cubs' end the most. And then I, I won't have to do that with the White Sox because that's just one. It's Gerard Dyson, so we'll just move on. And we'll get to the rest of the deadline and then the White Sox in just a couple. But I, I like the Andrew Chafin trade. You know, like, knowing, like, apply the relative expectations of the Cubs in 2020. Should they have gone out there and done more? That's eh, a conversation. Do they have the money to spend on players? Yeah, absolutely. But would you do it even in 2020? Yeah, I don't know. Throw all that stuff out the window. I like the Andrew Chafin deal. I know he can be infuriating at times, uh, picking away at the strike zone and the walk numbers are high, but he's got strikeout stuff. And I like that they were able to structure a deal where if he pitches, you know, it's it's not just a 
it's not a one price kind of thing. Like it, it seems to be if he pitches a lot, the return is higher. If he doesn't pitch, the return is much, much lower if, you know, nothing at all. I've seen trades before. I think it was I think it was in the White Sox dealt Jesse Crane to the Rays a, a bunch of years ago. The return was nothing because Jesse Crane did not pitch. He was unable to get back out there and, and play. That happens. I like what you throw out about the strikeout numbers being big for the Cubs. Uh, it was a valuable point brought up by Jim Deshays in Monday's game, Tuesday's game, the extra inning game against Pittsburgh. You need those guys more than ever, especially this year with the whole runner on second extra inning thing. And I get it. Yeah, that's only extra inning games. But keep in mind, double header games, if those goes to those go to extra, which they very well can after only seven innings played, I mean, you're going to need the big strikeout numbers. I guess it's it. You can also make the argument that it draws away with the three batter minimum rule. But what the Cubs need right now is guys that can strike batters out and just kill the momentum that is the opposing offense that's just draining these bullpen outings. So, yeah, from that standpoint, I like it too. But Andrew Chafin isn't what he used to be. I mean, granted, last year an ERA of 376. This year, I know, small sample size, but still, six runs in six and two-third. It's what we said this whole year. Cubs have to get creative. They're making do with what they can. So kudos on them. Your uh, your reaction, Joe, when you found out the Padres had scooped up Mike Clevenger because mine was not fit to print. I I said some words that I don't I don't care to repeat, and usually only say when I go six three on the softball diamond. In terms of what they gave up, just just that they got Mike Clevenger. Yeah, I mean, I I thought it was kind of inevitable. I, I mean, San Diego's made it pretty clear that that they're going for it, and if I'm San Diego. Why the heck not? Just go ahead. Um, I guess you, I mean, what, did you want to see him go to to the White Sox? Because it seemed like that was more smoke than anything, right? Yeah, not if it was going to be Kopech. Um, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be all, I wouldn't have been all that interested in that. I thought it was fascinating that the Padres were able to pick up as many players as they did, which, oh my God, I think it was like 26 players moved in three days which is the record by uh, almost 10 players. Fascinating stuff. I love that the Padres identified when to go get the rest of the players around their stars. That's a quality thing when you're when you're you know succeeding in a rebuild. I, I like that philosophically. I, I even like that and it's weird to be crediting AJ Preller with all this stuff because he's literally been suspended for cheating on trades before but you know the the guy went ahead and I, I think identified somewhat of a soft marketplace because everybody was kind of sitting there going oh i don't know it's 2020 and everything's weird and he's like the hell with it let me get mike clevenger let me get two catchers one of them who hasn't caught before he's 30 all this all this stuff and he didn't have to move any of his top four or, depending on where you read the rankings, top five prospects. That's good work. Yeah, well, and, and again, I think it only happens this year when you can get away with that. I mean, you kind of got a scrambling Cleveland team that wants to sell on a Mike Clevenger before, I don't know, stuff hits the fan and, and they freak out that they can't get any good return. So, so, yeah, I mean, strike while the iron's hot. Take advantage of the situation you've got right now, and that seems to be what San Diego's doing. And 
I mean, everything they've done leading up to this moment is, has seemed to prove out. So good on them. And, and like I said, if I'm San Diego, of course I'm making these moves, whether they're crazy or not. I, I, I think y- you have to. San Diego aside, which obviously that's a, a flurry of action, I, I truly thought that we were in for a very passe trade deadline. I didn't think people were going to move a lot. And even though this deadline was, I think it was something like 20% less active than last year's trade deadline, um, I, I still thought there was twice as much action as I thought there was going to be. You could have taken the Padres 26 players out of the deadline, and I still would have told you on this podcast, episode 12 of Baseball from Home, that I did not expect that much action at the deadline. And it goes back to the Cubs, too. It- you really expected the Cubs to obtain, what What was it, five more guys? I mean, I don't think anyone was really expecting that. But, again, you get creative. You see who's got what and what you can give up. That's the thing. It's how many times does Theo Epstein go and get somebody like, oh, really, that guy was available? Oh, he, he can come over here? Okay, cool. Austin Jackson can help out the team? Sure, why not? Let's, let's see what we can give up, what we can piece together. And, Again, it just comes down to keeping your ear to the ground and see what teams are are willing to give up what. You know, we'll get into the White Sox in just a second here, but since we're talking deadline stuff, I know know that Rick Hahn said he wasn't ready to take this roster who's poised for a playoff run and, and start breaking it apart quite yet. I understand that. I don't know that it's like... It doesn't strike me as lockbox defense for not making extra moves when you've got Aaron Bummer down. And he said this before Reynaldo Lopez had whatever the hell that was happened to him and all that kind of stuff. But you you are dealing with um, with one or two pitchers less than you truly need. So to say that, like, even if you are going to make a competitive run with the roster you have... I still think there's a way for him to pick up an extra arm, like a human being who just throws. And I, I I understand the sentiment. I don't know that it's, you know, like lock solid logic speaking uh, when it when it comes to what the deadline could have been for the White Sox. I, I get that it didn't have to be so extreme. I, I think the majority of White Sox fans are okay with somewhat standing pat at the trade deadline maybe not after the minnesota series but i don't know we'll see what happens in this game against kansas city um but but you're right maybe maybe there was an opportunity just to search a little bit deeper just to find something i don't know maybe it's it's rick Hahn just being feeling very close to his core and his group of young guys that he, he didn't even want to go down that road because teams could maybe just put their foot down and be like, no, I know you've got this. I am not going to have any wiggle room, and I want this top prospect because I know you've got plenty of talent and you have the availability to move the guy, which the Sox very might well have. Um, so so maybe that's what it comes down to because it wasn't the rumor. Well, the rumor about the Mike Clevenger deal was that it basically was never really a situation for the Sox because of what they were asking for. I mean, I I think I think other teams have that luxury when you know you're dealing with somebody with a pot of gold. The guy just can't hide the gold and be like, no, we've got some bronze over here. We'll give you some of that. Like, no, no, I know you've got plenty of gold. I want the gold. Otherwise, we're not talking. So maybe that's what ended conversations quicker.
So let's get into the White Sox side of things. The White Sox dropped two of three against the Twins, then won their evening game Thursday night against the Royals, though that was in doubt for much longer than it needed to be. I'm not really in doubt. That's just me. That's just me yelling and screaming, Joe, because it's the Royals and the White Sox should just take care of the Royals as opposed to letting them hang around like they're the Royals of 2012 or 2015. It was one of those games where you knew the White Sox were going to pull it out. It was just a matter of when, and when turned out to be almost 11 o'clock because Ugh. they kind of got bailed out by a non-call of the replay. But, yeah, that was the White Sox game over and out. So 23-15, and 15, and with the COVID math applied, that is 62.1 and 40.5. We, we started the Cubs segment this way, and I'll start the White Sox segment this way just, just briefly here. The White Sox are a team that, is, you know, according to COVID math, a little over 20 games over 500. And to be quite honest with you, Joe, they, to me, feel more like that than the Cubs do with very similar math. Yeah, I agree. It's It definitely feels more like a team that would be 22 games above 500. Um, I guess the, just the only holdback is the start they got off to, but I think that's still ends up being a big part of their identity. They're able to come together. They're able to get that little kick in the ass from Dallas Keuchel and move forward from it. And what we've seen from the Sox right when that surge happened is basically what we've seen since it happened. So, I mean, aside from that two or three they lost to Minnesota, they've had that surge all along pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think two things against uh, about Minnesota. One is, obviously, the, the defense was – atrocious and inexcusable that's really easy to say because the White Sox have had one of the best team defensive metrics in baseball all season long which stuns me but but it's there right I mean I I we were just talking about how you can or can't trust defensive numbers with so few games played and I don't know I guess it's better than not but the White Sox have been a really good defensive team. I'm willing to just take that Minnesota thing and, like, burn the tape. You know, like a like a bad NFL game, like a bad Bears game where Trubisky throws. No, not Trubisky. No conversation about Trubisky whatsoever. <laughs> a a non-Trubisky quarterback throws a couple of picks, and they just everybody plays like crap. And you go, ah, burn the tape and move on to next week. But I'm I'm willing to do that. And here's point number two. I'm willing to do that because this team, by definition, showed itself good enough to go beat a trash fire team like the Royals the night after they dropped two of three against the Twins. That matters to me. That matters to me a lot. Yes, Monty Grandal said earlier in the week that this team knows how to lose, and I think that's what he was alluding to. After losing the last two against Minnesota, they come back and they go to the happy-go-lucky slugging against left-hander White Sox that they were Thursday night against the Royals. I think I'm a little bit more willing to just burn the tape against the Twins. I don't know. I feel like I'm a little bit more apologetic with those errors. Maybe not all of them, but a good chunk of them. I'm going to give mulligans to Nick Madrigal. I mean, this is a guy that's still figuring out the big league level. This is this is something where he's, he's not totally in tune with how fast these runners are the bases are he just wants to get the play and he, he wants to be a 
a, a person that that helps the Sox get out of the rut that is that inning. The Lucas Giolito thing, the little bouncer back to the mound. I mean, that's just a little off the end of the bat thing. He's got a six foot seven frame. It's hard to reach down. As a man who's very tall and lanky, I have made that error. Oh God, have I made that error? And you just look at your hands like they're twelve feet away from you, going, "Why, why hands? Why? Why? How could you let me down in such a crucial time like this?" And <laughs> you're I- so far away from me. These, you see, your <laughs> stupid hands. And then, okay, and then the Adam Engel ball that he runs over in right field. I mean, that's just kind of a freak play. He's just looking to get the ball back on the infield. The only other one I'll go to is the rundown play. I don't get why Major League Baseball players, like, I, I, this isn't a, a thing where how can you not handle the pressure or whatever, but the goal is to run the runner back. Why is there always this desire to just throw the ball to the previous bag or the, rather the fielder closer to the previous bag as quickly as you can because that's what a rundown is. We're supposed to play catch as quickly as possible. Like, how is it so hard to remember? No, he's going to be out if I just run him back to second base. Um, I'm willing to give a few more mulligans around there. Uh, no mulligans, apparently, for Reynaldo Lopez in the White Sox rotation. He has been sent to the alternate site of Schaumburg, Illinois, that is not where White Sox fans wanted him to end up after just four starts in the 2020 season. Um, none of them have looked really good. The The one against the Cubs looked fine, although there were some serious smoke and mirrors about how he got out of that fourth inning or got through the four innings that he did. Some hard-hit baseballs that he kind of dodged. Um, and then it was Gio Gonzalez, correct, coming in in relief and offering another really good couple of innings but still dodging some hard-hit baseballs. And I say that to say this, um, you know, I may mention in the Cubs segment how these two teams and their pitching feel very similar at points. If the White Sox are entering a postseason series with Keuchel and Giolito and something else for Game 3, I'm weirdly fine with it. I, I really am. You've gotten away. Teams have gotten away with less in the pitching rotation by getting into a short series and getting through it. Look no further than the Nationals last year or the Astros two years before that. It can be done, especially if Giolito and Keigel pitch the way they've been pitching lately. By bringing that up, I think I'm swapping once again. I'm going to go with Dallas Keuchel being game one starter for the White Sox. In the... Fair point. Fair point. Just Keuchel's name came to my uh, mind yeah, first. I, just, I like the idea of revisiting that conversation every time. Um yeah, weirdly, I am more confident with the White Sox rotation in a playoff run than the Cubs, at least at this point. The Reynaldo Lopez situation, I mean, this is year four in this organization for this guy. And you're right, there, there's been no super impressive, okay, there's the Reynaldo Lopez we've been looking for. It happened a few times last year, actually a handful of times last year. Um, but he's just never been able to just contain that consistency for whatever reason. I mean, he's just leaving pitches up. He's missing his spots like crazy. So, yeah, it just seems like running out of chances. I, You know, I think he's going to be one of those guys, though, that, that you know, because he's still young. I mean, he's he still has a lot of tread on the tire. And his velocity, you know, when he's healthy, his velocity has been there. Now, granted, injuries matter, right, especially to starting pitchers. And if, and if he has some sort of injury that restricts the velocity from here on out, then it's a different conversation that we're about to bring up. But 
you know, they've, they've given tons of leash to Lucas Giolito. He was the Major League's worst pitcher for a whole calendar year and then came back to finish third in the Cy Young voting, right? So they understand how to give leash to guys. Carlos Rodon has gotten tons of leash. Carson Fulmer got a ton of leash for a whole host of reasons, right? And And yet just couldn't quite put it together. I would imagine that Lopez gets a little longer of a runway than he's got right now, but I I would bet that at this point his chances is like, here's your next rotation spot, Reynaldo, in 2021. Like, that's not coming around. There's no no scenario where 2021 begins and Reynaldo Lopez is is in the starting rotation. I guess I'm more speaking towards this year of running out Ah, of chances. But you're right. Um, I, I do see them having a little bit more leniency. He's 26 years old. Let's see, he'll be 27 in January. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, why not tr- try him out in the bullpen for this season at least? I mean, g- give him a go. He, Like you said, his velocity is there when he's healthy. He still can have elite stuff. So why not use him in a smaller sample size? Because now all of a sudden, maybe it looks like the White Sox bullpen isn't as stellar as we thought. So why not tweak this guy in the bullpen just a little bit this year? Well, so that's the thing. And that's, that's kind of where I want to get to. Like, obviously you're seeing what you're seeing with Zach Birdie. Um, the stuff is there. The velocity is good, but he is finding far too much plate to be very effective in major league baseball. You don't have Aaron bummer. The White Sox didn't want to mess around at the trade deadline for more arms, which I I think is a mistake, but an understandable one, right? Like, I I don't... We we talked a little bit in the Major League Baseball uh, segment in between the the Cubs and the White Sox about, you know, what Mike Clevenger meant to the Padres and what that deadline looked like for the Cubs and picking up a handful of arms. If you were talking with the Texas Rangers about Lance Lynn and and they brought up Michael Kopech at all, that's a hang up the phone and burn all of the cords it's connected to kind of situation for me, right? Like, I, it's Lance Lynn. I get that he's pitching well, but he's a rental, and at no point are we ever entertaining how to spell Michael Kopech's name in this phone call, much less actually talking about him as a trade target. Thank you, no. Ken Rosenthal's piece in The Athletic mentioned how maybe the Texas Rangers weren't able to deal Lance Lynn because they were too assertive because the last couple of years where they have been sellers, I mean, they didn't get much for you, Darvish. They didn't give much for Cole Hamels. So they don't want to make that mistake again when this is a team that I mean, earlier in the decade was going to World Series left and right. So, you know, they they want to ascend in their organizational's future. Um, So, again, I go back to the argument. I I can see a lot of these teams talking to Rick Hahn like, no, I know you have a surplus of young talent, and I know you have talent at the big league level right now, so you're willing to get rid of some of those guys. And Rick Hahn's probably like, no, it's not worth it for this somewhat of a crapshoot of 2020. And maybe at some point it's not worth it for Lance Lynn. If Lance Lynn were a guy that you'd talk about signing, you know, after he hit his free agent market, you know, and, and wasn't 33 or whatever, like, okay, maybe a little bit of a conversation. But he's not. So that's that's not really entertaining to me. I, I will say, right now, I mean, I'm not, I don't think the White Sox are done with Ronaldo Lopez this year because of the number of arms they're going to need over the next month and into a playoff series. They're just, 
they're just short. They're short guys. They're short innings. And if anybody thinks that Carlos Rodon is coming back to be a starter, like an actual, like a White Sox style starter, I, I, I don't know what you're looking at. That man is 60 to 70 pitches, and hopefully they're quality ones. Then you're going to the bullpen. And if you want to do that and have a plan about who's coming out of the bullpen and going multiple innings, you know, like a tandem or piggyback start, great. But if you're doing that and saying, well, we'll just see how long Carlos Rodon gets us, and then we'll fill the rest with the bullpen, that's a fool's errand to me. It, it truly is. I, I don't think that's a long-term, well, I, long-term for 2020. That's not a way you can finish this season. Yeah, I, that's the difference. It's you. It's really easy to see Carlos Rodon in that role, yeah, towards the end of the year. It's easier to see a guy like Reynaldo Lopez in that role for the playoffs. But to finish out the year, you're going to need that depth in the rotation because I mean, let's face it, a healthy White Sox rotation right now is Giolito, Keuchel, Cease, Dunning, and Lopez. And there's still a lot of question marks with all those names. So that's why you need to figure out all that situation. Want to play a quick hypothetical with you that has nothing to do with what we've talked about at all, but... Excellent. If Bryce Harper was a free agent heading into next year, you think he signs with the White Sox now? Yeah. I do too. Yeah. Yeah, I think... um... Man, that's a good one for episode 13. Or well, maybe not episode 13. That that's a good that's a good one because I if I remember right off the top of my head, the, the free agent class going into 2021 is like nobody now that Mookie Betts is signed with the Dodgers, correct? That sounds right, yeah. Real Muto may be up, but I think he's got an option that either he can extend or the Phillies can and the White Sox have their catching kind of sewed up anyway. I feel like there's there's maybe an older bopper or two. J.D. Martinez, I think, becomes an actual free agent at that point. Maybe he takes Edwin Encarnacion's spot, but he's got the two-year deal anyway. Trevor Bauer, George Springer, Marcus Simeon. Springer, that's it. That's your guy. That's that's your guy. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. You're right. He'll be well. It says he's 31. Is he 31 now? I don't. I don't. Yeah, he'll be 31. I don't care. George Springer, come <laughs> play right field. Nomar Mazzara, you can. Enjoy Schomburg, I guess. See, and that's that's the only error I wasn't going to give a mulligan to was Mazzara's, even though it wasn't technically an error, the one he short-routed in right center field and just took a terrible route to. I will never understand how baseball fans, like people who really watch a lot of games, like everyone who listens to this podcast, because let's be honest, you're watching several games a week if you're listening to this podcast because you're a baseball degenerate and we love you. But how you're watching the game, one would watch the game and go, oh, errors matter. And then you watch a route like that and go, yeah, no error on that play, but you got to look out for those guys who have errors. on. Like, what the hell are we doing? Ryan Braun was an operable left fielder for three seasons, and he couldn't move six feet to his left. Derek Jeter infamously couldn't move for four seasons at shortstop, and he was the Gold Glove winner. I, I, it's nonsense. That's that's what we need from Nomar Mazzara. Derek Jeter-like throw from the warning track, where he had to go to get the ball after taking that circus route on a roller that just it, it was it was god awful. I, so I think the White Sox are in better shape than probably uh, most other second and or third place teams at this point. But it's because of their offense. And real briefly here as we wrap this up, um, Yoan Mankata gave the interview about how he's felt 
since coming down with COVID and then coming back from it. And he's mentioned that he just doesn't feel 100%. He's tired. He's sluggish. He's just not, not that he can't perform, but just bouncing back from the everyday takes him a lot longer. And I don't say that to, I mean, this has nothing to do with the White Sox. For me, for me, this has nothing to do with the White Sox or Yohan Mankata. It's really more of, look at what this does, and full stop, we have no clue about the long-term ramifications of this virus. No idea. None. And that's for healthy that's for pre-existing conditions. That's for any age group. We, we just don't know what happens after this. So instead of making this about, well, the White Sox need Yoan Kata to hit a little bit better. And if he doesn't because of COVID, then so be it. It's not that. I, I just want to close by saying this. We are still in a situation where this exists. We are still in a situation where you and your family and every, like you need to take precautions about this. Just because we're all going back to school and we're all being forced back into situations where you got to go work because apparently life has to move on at some point doesn't mean that you can't still take precautions because even the healthiest, the absolute healthiest athlete has ramifications after this, has stuff that's going to happen. So make sure that you're keeping as safe and as I don't know, protected as you possibly can. The biggest thing you mentioned is is the unknown. We we do not know. We do not know what's going to happen a week from now, a month from now, 20 years from now. So that is the biggest reason to have precaution because the worst case scenario, uh, you, you go through a, a couple of lifestyle changes briefly, and then you go back to normal when everything else is figured out. But yeah, it's, it's the unknown that's the scariest and most dangerous part of this disease and pandemic, I think. That it is. And with the upcoming long weekend, everybody stay safe, everybody stay smart, and enjoy yourselves. Hopefully you get a chance to see your loved ones from six feet away. Hopefully you get a chance to see some baseball from two first-place teams, uh, you know, by the end of the weekend. He's Joe. I'm Connor. Thanks for listening to Baseball From Home. How to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. 
they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.